3: um oh, i can't stop online shopping i know Are we I have recording? a problem yeah we're recording Hi, Zach, um hello bitches yeah hello muffins i feel like we should start by talking about the great pedicure incident of oh my god 2020
4: yeah so on wednesday night <laughs> me and my uh so significant other we had a, a week so basically we hosted his friends round at his house who had never met each other and we were trying to set up so it was like a blind date but they both knew who each other were mm-hmm. and they just never met so they arrived and we had just gotten all like excited about sitting in on a date and so we decided we we're going to host a mexican night which is obviously just gonna turn rowdy. So fun. And so I was on making spicy mezcal margaritas and made the chili salt rim and everything. And obviously, because I'd never made them before, I was like, I'm gonna test. So we did. So we drank a margarita before they arrived while we were making food. Then they arrived and we all just got like really buck wild on a Wednesday.
3: And margaritas just, they just go down the gullet in the mm. way no other cocktail, in my experience, does. And if you
4: drink all night on margaritas, remember that night? that we um, we had this night at a place in Soho called La Bodega Negra underneath a sex shop we were drinking mugs all night and that was an absolute mess that I was, a naughty, found, was yeah. a naughty night it was a naughty night and I just found last night um, messages from our friend Jake afterwards he sent me duck mit life I lolf just got home and I am so drunk I hate to haha whoa at 9am <laughs> <laughs>
0: And then say, I
3: remember like coming to, just walking through an underground tunnel and I was like, what's happening? Yeah. So Margaritas, they get you good. And um, anyway, we... They so we, got you
4: good. They got me good. And so the next day we were on the phone to um, the guy who'd been around at dinner and I was like, why are we both so hungover? And he goes, when we left, you guys were making straight tequila because we ran out of all other options. <laughs> we were making straight tequila drinks, like just basically tequila on ice, and I was squeezing heaps of lime in it, and it was this full cup of tequila. Oh, and and so um, apparently, we were salsa dancing to Jennifer Lopez.
3: Apparently, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. According, <laughs> to according to sources at the scene. We <laughs> <laughs> got sources close to the action say they were salsa dancing to um jenny from the block at five in the morning so then the
4: next day we wake up me and grace had booked this really cute pedicure in the afternoon um and grace had booked it and she'd booked it at this place that i knew by literally the name and location that it was going to be so expensive i don't know
3: like something's happened to me in quarantine where i've like lost the ability to intuit that some things cost more than other things depending on where you go. Like, we went to get gin the other day, and we went into, I just strode into this beautiful boutique wine store. And a Gordon's gin was twenty five pounds, which is like fifty dollars. And Izzy was like, "That's more than usual." And I was like, "No, gin costs the same." No, I was like, anywhere. "Why are we here?" <laughs> yeah, <for laughs> started like, "Why did we come here instead of just fucking Sainsburys?" And then we went to Sainsbury, and I was like, "Oh, okay. If you think it'll be cheaper, yeah, we can go there." And then we went, and it was thirteen pounds there. The difference of, like twenty five Australian dollars for a shitty bottle of gin. And um, the same thing happened again at the pedicure place. Yeah. So I
4: <laughs> said. Um, when you booked it, I was like, Grace I'm has booked embarrassed us. embarrassed
3: to say how much we paid for a pedicure. It yeah, makes we, me feel yeah,
4: sick. Yeah. So, I said, when you booked it, I was like, oh, Grace has booked us this insane, it'll be so
3: expensive. So I was prepared. And then, but anyway. But well, I wasn't, I didn't, I thought I just booked a generic place and Izzy knew it was going to be expensive. I didn't realize and then we got there. I didn't even, it didn't even click when we went in there. But, yeah, well,
4: I, I mean, I wasn't were, like,
3: oh shit, this is, because I <laughs>
4: If you go to a place... Where they give you sparkling water. <laughs> where they give you... No, you, it wasn't even sparkling. We, we chose water. It was free alcohol. Like, we could have had a champagne. But obviously, I wasn't going to. <laughs>
3: you see, you withheld information because you were hungover.
4: They held up a drinks list. I couldn't even I speak, we Grace. <laughs> couldn't even speak. Okay, <laughs> Izzy just grunted.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so basically, the place, like, um, I thought Izzy had disappeared off the place <laughs> of the earth. So I cancelled the appointment on her behalf and then got there and she was there. It was just so chaotic. <laughs> I, I was tix. like, oh my god, you're here. <laughs> and Izzy tix. was like, not even
4: capable of talking. <laughs> you were like a beast. And you know, when you're like, if I wasn't so hungover, I just sort of cancelled on you and been like. Oh, I can't make it, or yeah, well, like, I'm tired, or whatever. I just yeah. cancelled. But in my hungover pee brain, I was like, "You have to
3: complete this task." You just, you know what <laughs> not I mean? Your Adam voice. You're like, "Why do you keep doing this?" Like, Isabel can't even yeah. get a pedicure. Isabel, yeah. fucking yeah. piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was like,
4: "You just have to go to the. You have to go. Grace will be angry if you don't. You have to complete this task." It was a twenty minute walk away. I got an Uber. Yeah, I Ubered because I was like, I "Can't fucking walk," and I just vomited at home over 20 minutes there got out of the car hadn't been able to look at my phone because i couldn't figure it out got there grace was like what the fuck (laughs) thought you weren't coming sit down um the woman starts doing my feet and and she's trying to upsell me the whole time i had
3: this like really cool like tatted up italian chick who was just a legend and then you had this like chirpy chipper ego it was like that it should have been the absolute opposite for our states of mind because i was like Mm. hello everyone i was so perky (laughs) yeah and you wanted to kill yourself i had my eyes shut and you kept and trying to talk to me yes. yeah and we were like far away from each other so we were texting instead of talking
4: <laughs> yeah and yeah and then i text grace and i was like i think i'm gonna vomit
3: no you just disappeared you were like a moment please and then you walked off then you came back and you're like i threw
4: off <laughs> they had to put the channels on my feet she was doing a pedicure and i was like i need to go to the bathroom I was like, I need to vomit. Stop trying to upsell me moose foot
3: <laughs> moose foot um, moose. It was, I was like absolutely crazy. not. I was bitch. like I'm just oblivious to everything going on. We'd probably go back in now, and it was like gilded walls, and I just didn't know. Yeah, um, but yeah, Izzy threw up at the the pedicure place.
4: Yeah, and and also for to go and get an expensive pedicure already is unnecessary because you can just go anywhere, and it's basically the exact same. Experience. I don't believe
3: in expensive pedicures. Like this is why I'm so annoyed. And then when we went to pay.
4: I was you like, thought they'd pay, I was like, no, one us.
3: each, yeah. and then she was like, that is it, and I nearly fainted. Mm. Um,
4: yeah, and it, so it's it's not good at the best of times, but for me to be that hungover and vomiting, I was like, what a waste of my, what a money. waste of
3: your life. Yeah, I think that like London, there's a a level up of costing of things here. I think it's just a big city thing, a global city mm. thing. It's the same in New York where what you consider expensive just goes up by like an extra 60 percent you know what i mean like an expensive pedicure in sydney would be x amount it wouldn't even cross your mind that it could be this amount i know and i remember getting a coffee i was staying at a really nice hotel in new york and i got a coffee i was really hungover as well i got a large takeaway coffee and a croissant croissant <laughs> who do you think you are a- croissants <laughs> and they only sold them in trios and i just got a coffee and then three baked goods and it was 38 us dollars yeah how wild <laughs> like that? you would never you'd be like this is going to be expensive because it's in the hotel but you'd think this is going to be 20 australian dollars or something mm. you know like in these big cities these big crazy towns
4: yeah in these big crazy towns you pay 300 for two pedicures
3: yeah yeah that's how much it was <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. I I wouldn't write them a bad TripAdvisor review. Yeah, same. That's a good idea. Very on
4: brand for me to be so hungover all the time, isn't it? (laughs) Um I am really stoked because actually
3: just quickly on that, this is really funny. We had um the the night of after that pedicure, I was having my dad and my cousin over for dinner and we went to the Sainsbury's afterwards and you got a Coke and a Lucas (laughs) a roast chicken with like rosemary and god! <laughs> <laughs> like, and I was like this is us now when did this like giant divergence happen I
4: coconut because I got both I don't know and we've been smoking ciggies
3: inside with the windows shut okay so when you weren't hungover, what were you watching reading listening to
4: um I am very so, obviously the, the same old as per usual like who weekly um and the daily etc but I'm also very stoked because Grounded with Louis Thoreau is back for a second
3: season. Have you ever listened to it? No, my mom has told me that it's a delight.
4: Yeah, it's so good. So I loved the ones that I can remember that stand out from season one were Rose McGowan mm-hmm. and uh, Helena Bonham Carter. Um, And then first guest on season two is Michaela Cole. Amazing. And she was so great. She's just a smart, eloquent legend. I've listened to her before, actually, on Gal Dem's podcast Mm. with Liv Little, who we actually interviewed on this podcast. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod. Um, And yeah, in the chat, she talks all about I May Destroy You. And um, the part that I found really interesting was how she speaks about backlash to specific episodes um, and how people assume the narrative that she's trying to tell but she's not she's just putting a story out there and the narrative that you take away from it is completely determined by the trauma that you've faced and the experiences you've lived Mm. and how far you've come in healing from that trauma um and yeah and and i just found that super interesting because basically they were talking about a episode in which a gay guy has sex with a woman and didn't disclose that he was gay Mm -hmm. and people were arcing up about it saying that Michaela Cole was saying that that was sexual or just heaps of different conversations around and Michaela Cole was basically like however you did however you view any situation is based on
3: the experiences you have lived yes and artists are always just putting things out there for you to respond to like it's not their job to assign moral Mm. um whatever moral responses to the things that they do that's the whole thing that's amazing about i may destroy you is like it covers this full spectrum of sexual assault and consent and consent using a condom or not using a condom and having a threesome where you're a little bit pressured but not no one's fully pressured you, but you still feel a bit weird afterwards. Like it's like that kind of gray area. It wouldn't be good if it was like this bad, this good, this bad. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, But
4: yeah, basically she is incredible. And that podcast um, series is really, really great. Luthro is funny because he's so smart and onto it, but he also asks, I find in a lot of them quite weird questions, or sometimes he's quite off in what he asks. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which I find quite interesting. Like at one point he was talking to Michaela Cole about race and he was saying, well, what if people just have a type, you know, what if all of the people that my wife has ever dated before me um, are skinny, tall, white guys with glasses. And Michaela Cole was kind of like, mm, mm. I think that there's a race element to the whole thing. Like it. she yeah. just... She just I, and then he was doing the same thing with Helena Bottom Carter as well, where she was, where he was, ta- he was asking her quite probing questions about sex and things. And then they, I don't know, it's it's really interesting yeah, to right. hear an interviewer because obviously he he builds such a rapport with these people and he probably knows quite a few of them personally. Mm. I think he did the same with Rose McGowan actually as well. Yeah, he always asks stuff where I'm like, what? You sound a bit. I would I would delete it if I was you. <laughs> yeah, but maybe he likes. Yeah. Which is interesting because that's, yeah. that's, that's a great trait to have, to be willing to sound, willing wrong. To sound yeah. wrong or to sound willing to sound ignorant or, um, mm. yeah, like you don't know something. Whereas usually I try so hard to sound like I know the answer to things. I'm trying really hard to not do that.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think as well that's, yeah, part of why he's been so successful. is, And it's funny actually you say that because I remember Michaela Cole – I can't remember which interview it was with her that I read, but she said that she does that a lot in meetings where she'll be like, wait, what? I don't, I I don't get that. That's not really the same thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She said people are so scared to do that. But if someone's like, no, we can't give you executive producer. She'll be like, oh, I don't understand why. Why? Yeah. yeah, And it's putting people on the spot to explain something. Whereas they're kind of relying on you. To just take it, thinking, "Oh, everyone in the industry knows this." Like, I'm just going to be quiet. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. Mm.
4: I actually wrote down on my notes. I feel like I've said this on the podcast before, but I have a note, as I've said that um, ADHD my my yeah my my, (laughs) like coping mechanism for me my my, what I have self diagnosed as ADHD is having really. uh, what is it Pff, organized notes folders mm-hmm. on my phone and actually three people messaged and said that they didn't know you could pin notes to the top of your uh app which you can but basically i've got a bits folder i've got all these different folders so i've got like a afterwork drinks folder mm-hmm. a food folder a money folder a work folder blah blah this bits folder has all these like cute tips from my therapist and stuff like that and i wrote down at one point it's literally just a note from 8th of July, 2020 at 6.54 a.m. I don't have an opinion, but I'd love to hear yours.
3: Oh, <laughs> you little muffin. Let's get that on a t-shirt. Yeah, yes. I don't have an opinion on this, but I'd love to hear yours. Yeah. It's such a like...
4: Yes. Yeah. I just don't want to act like I know everything. No,
3: I think that's awesome.
4: What have you been consuming, Grace O'Neill?
3: So I've been listening to a lot of Your Wrong About, which we recommended in our princess diana episode a few weeks ago um and the thing i love about it and the ones i keep finding myself drawn to is like misunderstood women so i listened to tonya harding marie antoinette and courtney love
4: do you know who else is apparently really good Mm. um jessica simpson
3: oh yeah they did a huge Mm. thing on her that one's really great okay let's do that yeah yeah um so i loved the one about courtney love specifically because i just think that she's this polarizing person that people really don't know much about and there was so much misinformation about her that i learned in this podcast episode for example this conspiracy theory that she murdered kurt cobain i know it's so fucked it's firstly she was in a different state when that happened she was literally recording in los angeles and he was in i don't know where he was but a completely different state um she had, for months and months, years, been this single person that was looking after someone going through, like, an awful mental health crisis while also trying to have her own really successful career and raise a child. And it just made me realise... Oh, and also Courtney Love's fucking interesting. She went to Trinity College in Ireland, where normal people's from.
4: Yeah, and that's a really, really prestigious, <laughs> prestigious uni. Prestigious which Really is prestigious so... kind of arty uni,
3: right? Yes. Yeah. She... Her dad was the Grateful Dead ba- like, tour manager. And then her mum remarried. And then when she was put into boarding school, her, parent, her whole family moved to New Zealand without telling her. Oh my God. And she was 14 or 15. So she was just at school, and her mum and the new husband and their new kids just left her. So she was legally emancipated. She got into Trinity College in Ireland. She left there, became a stripper, worked as a stripper all around Europe when she was 16, 17, 18. Moved to LA to become an actress, failed as an actress, and then made what is literally widely considered one of the best grunge albums of all time. And then there's all this stuff about people saying, oh, Kurt Cobain wrote all her music, when it turns out that she, she actually co-wrote a few of Nirvana's most famous songs. Legend. And I was like, she's actually really cool. And the reason people don't like her is because she doesn't pander to performing in a way that people will like.
4: Yeah, she's you know? not, not the... This- Um,
3: little demure heartbroken widow Mm. oh and someone said which is really really cute they were like everyone calls Courtney and Kurt um like Yoko and John or Nancy and Sid when really they're like Lucille Bull and her husband because I've never seen two people in my life that were so in love and they used to send each other love faxes and she did all this stuff to intervene to try and help him with his drug addiction and it didn't work and I'm just like this is just someone that everyone should have so much sympathy and consideration for
4: yeah and they just don't everyone thinks she just killed her the guy she was in love with like
3: people are just gross i'm like why do you love what what do you hate about courtney love that you don't hate about kurt cobain do you hate her because she was a heroin addict do you hate her because she was like messy do you hate her because she was it's because she's alive yeah yeah i'm like there's nothing that she did that kurt cobain didn't do and yet everyone loves kurt cobain and everyone hates her yeah it's just feral it's a funny thing people hating the women that date rock stars that they secretly want to marry i know i feel like that's such a thing yeah it's such a
4: jealousy thing it's so naughty yeah so naughty and it's also the way that you um what is it immortalize the dead yeah the way like the way we all love princess diana is because she died so young yes and if she was still alive today the media would be after it, yeah, like jugular people, people of her. Yeah, people probably for everything would have just, she did. Yeah, people probably just wouldn't like her.
3: Yeah, because she would have gotten old. Our culture's so gross. I know. <laughs> um, and then the second thing that I watched was The Undoing, which is this new TV series that everyone was wanking on about. So mm. it's Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, and it's David E. Kelly who made Big Little Lies. And the finale. The season finale, which showed on the weekend, is the most watched HBO episode since the finale of the first season of Big Little Lies. What the
4: fuck? I, yeah, yeah. I only heard about it around the finale time and I was like, mm. what the fuck? I've just missed this
3: massive show. People were talking about Nicole Kidman's coat collection and The Undoing or how it was kind of chic and stylish because it's rich people in New York City. Um, And you watched it? Yes, yeah, so I watched it Oh, I binged it. Actually, I feel like I binged it while you were hooning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, you were, <laughs> and um I found it quite disturbing. So it's this story. This is spoilers, spoilers. Like, skip forward. For but also, minutes. you think it's a shit show, so no one should. But watch I, it. I, yeah, I don't think you should watch it because I think it's hugely overrated and quite like troubling to watch. Spoilers, spoilers. So it's Hugh Grant is playing Nicole Kidman's husband. And this hot, young, Latino mum at the school who's poor, who's got into this rich school on a scholarship for her kids, is kind of obsessive with Nicole Kidman in the first half of the episode. And then it comes out that she was murdered. And then you find out by kind of early episode two... By early episode two, you find out that Hugh Grant has gone on the run, that he was having an affair with her, that her infant baby was actually his... And that he has no alibi for the night she was murdered. So you're like, okay, Hugh Grant did it. And then the whole thing is basically... Is he didn't, like...
4: like—is—is is, is, Did it, he did he not? No, he did. No, but like, as in, about, yeah, the, whole, the whole thing is them trying to figure out if he did it.
3: The whole thing is it being so obvious that he did it. And Nicole Kidman being really in denial about the fact that he did it. And it's kind of about the way that we, like, stretch the truth to justify attractive, charismatic white men from doing things that they've actually done which in theory is a smart thing to talk about but it's so obvious from the get-go there's not even any red herrings there's like nothing to suggest you didn't nicole kidman's character is like unbearably pathetic and the biggest thing that troubled me is that this woman who's murdered they show her murder in like the most gratuitous detail over and over and over Gosh. and she's they show her like dancing in her underwear and then they cut hugh grant like he, killing her with a hammer and like it's just gross and i found it really disgusting how in big little lies they spend so much time with the female victim of domestic violence like showcasing the complexities of a woman trying to leave mm-hmm. a romantically violent relationship And you get so much airtime on her, and it's all about her struggle. And in this, like, the domestic violence victim, because she's a brown woman, is just hot and murdered. And we spent all this time with Nicole Kidman again, dealing with her husband being a murderer. And I'm just like, that's... it, it It just made me feel kind of gross. And, like, no one was talking about it. And then I found a really good article in... The Atlantic, which was called, which was called the dangerous blind spot of the undoing, which was about the exact same thing. So it, it, the cell is this show treats domestic violence like a striptease, um, and I think it's it's worth talking about because obviously there's been so much conversation in Australia the last few weeks about domestic violence, which has risen drastically alongside COVID. People are saying it's like the second pandemic happening in Australia. And I just think people should, I don't know, just like question treating, seeing a beautiful woman fucking beaten to death over and over and over again as entertainment. I just, I felt like we were past that as a society. So to watch that as the most popular show in the world at the moment, I just felt a bit gross.
1: Mm. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European Linen
2: Only at Sleep Number stores or SleepNumber.com.
4: Yeah, I would love to talk to you about an article that was published in uh, the new New Zealand magazine um, incredible website called Ensemble. And it was launched by Zoe Walker-Awa, who I know um, personally, and she used to be the editor-in-chief for FQ, Um, And she started Ensemble earlier this year during COVID. It's really, really
3: beautiful and epic. And just quickly on the subject of that, this is exactly what we talked about when magazines closed, where we said all the talented, amazing people who worked for these magazines are still incredibly talented and they're all launching their own projects. So this is like Mm. the most perfect example.
4: Yeah. And Zoe enlisted David Farrier, who's kind of like New Zealand's Louis Thoreau, um, not only do they look identical, but David is this really uh, incredible journalist and he did the Tickled documentary. You've seen
3: it, right? I watched about, it with you. Yeah, we. Yeah. It's it's, tickled is like crazy. A work of art. Yeah. It's about, um, yeah, what's his name? David? Farrier. David Farrier goes deep on this weird tickle fetish community and the owner of it. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Izzy showed it to me really soon after we. Yeah. got together <laughs> <We started laughs> we hooked up, Yeah. Um, and my mind was like blown everyone should everyone should watch tickled yeah it's so underrated
4: yeah um so david farrier and zoe walker who started ensemble they went to uni together The long-term friends and zoe teamed up with david to write an article about lonely lingerie so i'm pretty sure almost everyone who listened to this podcast would have heard of lonely would have bought a bra from lonely will know or follow its instagram account lonely was started in 2009 by helene morris and steve ferguson they're a couple um and they actually started as a clothing range for people in new zealand will know that but then they blew up with their lingerie so they were one of the first labels to really push body and age diversity um so they kind of refuse to retouch images they would always use plus size models they would never um they would never have any body hair shaved people wouldn't be wearing makeup they'd have mothers breastfeeding their children
3: they ha- mm. would always use real women not models i remember the first real time it blew up in my brain was when lena dunham and jemima kirk of girls shot each other in Jemima's apartment in the lingerie mm. and it was unphotoshopped and unretouched. And that was when Girls was at its peak of fame and they didn't pay them for it. I remember that. So it was like they were both so passionate about the message and the branding and the imagery that they shot it for free. And I feel like that was kind of the moment globally as someone outside of New Zealand that I realised that Lonely was this phenomenon.
4: Yeah. And everyone's worn it. Kylie Jenner's worn it, Um et cetera, et cetera. But... Basically, so I used to when I first left uni, mm. I actually interned there. It was my mm. first job out of uni. Um and I moved to Auckland to intern with them because they were they weren't when I started they just started doing lingerie but it hadn't blown up yet and they hadn't so they were it was a tiny team. Your first
3: idea as an intern, you were like, Why don't you guys try <laughs> lingerie? <laughs> yeah, there's five
4: of us there and um, they like quadrupled in size afterwards Mm. um but there's five of us there and it was the really really small operation um and so i know i've met steve and helene personally which is quite crazy in terms of what's going on now but basically this year lonely has really blown up because the founders started posting weird QAnon stuff on their Facebooks on their Instagram staff at Lonely started saying that they were um, kind of t- making them go to wellness things with people talking about like quite out there stuff and 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 Steve actually took over the Instagram account which used to be run was run when I worked there by a friend of mine called Kaya who's now left the company and she was the one that blew it up. It went from it went from like. 10,000 followers to hundreds and hundreds of thousands of followers and Instagram, they were the fastest growing account the month that I was there in the world on Instagram. Wow. It was wild, but Steve's been running it for a while now, which is actually really weird because it's um, women in lingerie and, and like a lot of the followers would DM them personal photos of themselves and lingerie, etc. But um, so Steve and Helene have been posting things on Facebook. They actually said to Ensemble that their accounts were hacked um, that Jacinda Ardern was behind questioning whether Jacinda Ardern was behind the Christchurch terror attack, saying that COVID is fake, saying that climate change is fake, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Also, another huge thing was when Black Lives Matter happened.
3: Um, so, cra- like crazy, kook, insane, off the planet conspiracy theorists. Yes. Basically. <laughs> yes.
4: Like super just QAnon. And QAnon <laughs> is a basis of internet conspiracy theory for anyone who doesn't know whose followers believe that like Hollywood celebrities and billionaires run the world while engaging in petty pedoph- like rings that what's was pizzagate
3: pizzagate and there's the thing about my friend was telling me about the what's that thing called that when you drink children's blood you get a, a yes. high. so
4: they think the harvesting of a supposedly life-extending chemical from the blood of abused children
3: yes that's well, what they children are very frightened that that's the moment that they harvest their blood and it gives you this kind of drug-like high i can't remember what the name is but yeah. he's telling me about it Yes. Imagine this is so true and it turns out that um Helene and Steve were just on the um on the ball. <laughs> like As they were with their beautiful you. bras. <laughs> like, we we're right about the cotton bras and by God we we're right about <laughs> Jacinda Arton. <laughs> they called a <her> transsexual. <laughs> Like the, trip, the Christchurch massacre, like that's so fucking yeah. And he, and he just posts, yeah, he,
4: like you just post questions. everywhere. he's like, why was Jacinda in Christchurch or like whatever? Two was not even there, but you know what I mean. Um, basically, when BLM happened, Lonely was really, really, really incredibly silent, which is crazy because using black women and people of color to sell their products has been the massive reason that they blew up in the first place. The whole thing behind lonely, the whole reason it's successful is because it is diverse. And during BLM, they refused to say anything. And not only did they refuse to say anything, they, um, were deleting people's comments on Instagram, asking them to say stuff. Then they like, they were deleting comments completely. Then they, um, what is it? Like stop people from being able to comment, complete disabled comments completely. Um, and deleted posts so that's fucked so then after blm 13 staff members wrote a letter to Stephen and helene addressing their concerns about covid and blm because during covid like during the whole thing staff were like hey the new zealand government's telling us to work from home what's going on can we have some direction and allegedly steve replied keep calm and carry on
3: <laughs> i used to have that poster in my room when i was 17. oh my god <laughs> Just um moved out of home yeah so since
4: then staff wrote a letter to them addressing their concerns and since then at least 15 people have resigned or been made redundant this year including four members of senior management and the company's longest standing employee um now at the moment which is crazy the two of them are in the u.s and they're saying they're in the u.s because lonely is launching a store over there mm-hmm. but they've been posting in a place called mount shasta which is synonymous with the starseed movement, which they've been posting about on their Facebook. And the starseed movement is a belief that certain humans are actually aliens or are possessed by aliens. And the ensemble I'm quoting directly from ensemble. Now talking to those around Steve, he has allegedly focused on the date of December 21st for starseeds. This date not only marks the start of the winter solstice, solstice solstice but the beginning of the age of light a time to reunite with both creatures hidden inside the hollow earth and galactic alien forces in outer space so they're in so they're in this place waiting for what have we got two
3: weeks from today i was gonna say the big date is upon us two weeks from today we should have a celebration
4: on december 21st we should have an age of light martini night (laughs) celebration age of light martini night why does that rhyme um yeah so New spin-off series with Lonely as the Sponsors. <laughs> yes. 2 weeks from today I'm wearing a fucking lonely bra today. Are you? I'm all, I'm never not wearing them. So you used to get so them. Naughty. I used to um I, I was their fit model for ages. Cause I were worked, you? Yeah, cause I worked in the office with them. Oh, uh-huh, you little hottie! No, for the, just the, the specific sizes. Yeah, did the, the double D. Yeah. <laughs> the ten double Ds. <laughs> like we
3: need a double A around here. I'm like, well, let me in,
4: <laughs> let me in, let
3: me in, coach. Um,
4: yeah. So that's wild. Um, I have a lot of friends who were like really close with the brand. Um, a friend of like a friend of mine was there textile designer what well, a good one of my best friends was their textile designer for years a good friend was their main designer for years and another good friend was their PR manager for years um but there's been shit like I am not super close to it because obviously I left New Zealand years ago but there's been a lot a lot about the company culture and a toxic workplace environment and even when we actually were in Paris recently and we went to a showroom I said to I, I was talking about how I know Mm -hmm. A girl. And I said, I know her through working at Lonely. And someone said, oh, you survived that hellhole too.
3: Right. It's, you know. It is that thing, I think, where I wrote a story this week about... um, I need to eat this. Yeah, God. Last week, Izzy's chewing the olives was, like, doing my brain in while I was editing. I'm really hungry as well. I'm going to wait to get some. Even if you do it in that room, this fucking piece (laughs) of shit, Michael, pick it up. Okay, carry on. Keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on. Uh, yeah, but um I wrote something this week about Topshop and about the demise of Topshop specifically because the owner company Arcadia has gone bankrupt. Um, and I think the like the biggest thing now that we've seen especially this year is something that's never really existed before where people now expect brands owners and founders to reflect the values the brand it sounds obvious but it was never a thing before Mm. like Topshop in terms of values when I was a teenager or when I was in my early 20s was about like making high fashion accessible democratizing it making good quality products that were also like stylish and Kate Moss was part of it and um, all these musicians were part of it and it was this very cool cultural thing but You cannot marry that image with Philip Green, who is accused of sexual harassment, of bullying employees, who is by like almost every journalist who's ever worked in the industry's um, testimony, a truly horrible person who is accused of withholding pensions. It's like you cannot get a millennial shopping generation now to put their money behind someone. Whose values are like that? And it's kind of that's happening with lonely, I guess, where back in the day, the external values of who's in the campaigns felt like enough to invest in. Mm-hmm. But now people are digging deeper where they're being like, wait, where's my money actually going? And if it's going to these people who, I mean, some of that stuff is funny, <laughs> but most of it's awful. <laughs> what, these guys? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's pretty, it's crazy if people
4: are taking it seriously i would like to know so philip green that's is, who's the girl does she still go out with hot mug Shop guy
3: chloe green or something oh yeah Let oh me my see. god fantastic reference izzy i don't i remember none of that but hot
4: Alan jeremy meeks is now single after split from what's her fucking face Topshop shop Hearest. chloe green chloe green chloe green and they've had a baby together you know that did they they had a baby together that is amazing. remember when he so
3: philip green's grandson, grandson is grand grand yeah grandchild yeah is hot felon's yeah child. Mm. <laughs> because
4: hot felon was literally in this full long-term relationship with the mother of his child then he became hot Fallon, blew up met chloe green who's a billionaire heiress went on not a, anymore <laughs> went on a super yeah that's why they've probably broken up went on a super yacht with um her it was like such a scandal at the time he yes. was caught on this super yacht vacationing with her hooking up with her and his wife i remember it being on his wife's instagram at one point okay hot felon jeremy makes stays. he's still together with chloe green despite her kissing another man
3: <laughs> <laughs> when is
4: that from that's from august 2019 yeah. i need like i need hot mug shot chloe 2020
3: yeah why has why where what? are all the journalists when we need them covering this story
4: it's uh after dumping hot felon jeremy meeks chloe green is allegedly dating this mystery man so <laughs> chloe green she started with hot felon jeremy meeks who she dumped in 2019 after having his baby now two years old <laughs> crazy i wonder if she got any he got any money
3: he definitely would have i mean he's
4: his Instagram, he has 1.6 million followers. Does he?
3: Mm-hmm. We should get him on the podcast. We act. He would come on. I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Let's reach out. Let's reach out. Let's reach out to Jeremy Meeks. Um, but yeah, I just just quickly on that point, I feel as if people were trying to say that Topshop dying was like a sign that fast fashion was over, but I think it's just a sign that Topshop weren't fast fashion enough. Yeah, Topshop. Topshop is over. Who's been in a top shop in the past? Like, 10 we used years. to work around the corner from the flagship on Oxford Circus. I went in there
4: once to get a try
3: and get a pair of earrings. It was, and it, was awful. it was like f- a club at 4 a.m. I felt like I was 500 years old, and I was like, we actually shouldn't have aged out of the top shop market. Like, we're in our m- mid to late 20s. <laughs> We definitely we're definitely. 41 okay
4: i worked at Topshop when i was 19
3: that's cool i, I, was I very applied cool. i applied for Topshop. they never they never would have me it was very very cool
4: at the time i felt fucking amazing it was like the first time i got a job in bags. i was like look at me go i'm a Topshop girl i used to hide the uh stock out the back so i could get it and not put it up because it would sell out so quickly
3: yeah it was amazing it was and all my friends
4: were like the top shop crew
3: the top right you were the cool kid like i remember when i this was at, in
4: this is over here in the uk obviously because there was no top shop oh, in new zealand the
3: uk right mm. oh, I, god you had a job at top shop uk i couldn't even get a top, job at Topshop shop australia <laughs> and i worked at the movies and someone was like did you guys hear that jenny got a job at Topshop? shop and oh i was like gosh. oh my god
4: that's so cool yeah i got a job at river but, island and i quit the next day to go to top shop yes
3: good choice because mm. top shop opened in australia when i was like it's still not in New Zealand, 18, I think. You know, well, never will be. <laughs> I just ordered a burrito bowl. Okay. It'll come by the time we're finished. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so something we both watched last night was... Christ- Why can't I say her name? Kristen. Kristen Stewart's lesbian Christmas rom-com. Happiest f- season. Happiest season. The first of its kind um which is astounding i guess when i was trying it. i
4: was like what is it the first docs? i was like it's the first lesbian rom-com and then um the guy i'm dating was like no it's not and found me all these other lesbian rom-coms and i was like what the fuck is everyone talking about then but he was like people are saying it is but i think it's the first christmas christmas <laughs> yeah it's, <laughs> it's the, the first, first christmas festive, festive lesbian rom-com of its kind of
3: its kind it's directed by claire duval who's actually like quite a cool iconic queer woman from the 90s she's in veep and she was in a movie with Natasha Leone in the 90s called but I'm a cheerleader which is like a very iconic kind of cult 90s gay movie um I feel in two minds about this because it's not perfect and then I'm like God does it have to be perfect yeah but then I'm like but if you don't criticize the things that should be criticized that's kind of giving a free pass to something when you shouldn't so.
4: I think it's one of those things that when you criticise it, everyone's like, just shut up and watch the festive Christmas movie and laugh and be happy. that's what everyone
3: did about Hamilton. And then we all realised when it came out on Disney Plus that it was a little bit fucked. (laughs) That
4: it was racist. (laughs) Yeah. So I I watched it from start to finish. Didn't feel bored, which is crazy for my ADHD brain. Laughed in various parts. Found Aubrey Plaza delightful. Mm. uh, Found... Kristen Stewart way less annoying than I usually do,
3: I which she is was saying great something. In it, yeah, yeah. So but like you said, I think she was just playing herself. She was yeah. very charismatic and funny and cute.
4: I wouldn't go that far.
3: Is <laughs> <but>, she <laughs> body froze? She was playing a moody lesbian, which is
4: her personality, so mm-hmm. she was better than usual. But it was like so funny because I just find her acting so bad, and it was funny. I hadn't said anything to my friend about not liking her, and he mm-hmm. just goes this girl's not a very good actress, is she? And I was like, yes, she's not, but she's better than usual. But it's yeah. just so funny when you like look at other actors around her and then it flicks to her and she's like, and it's like, you know, we were like joking that the, the scene said look moody and she's just in the corner. She's like, hmm, like frowning. Yeah. I just,
3: I don't she's know. Izzy, we like, we divide on this. I find her so like, I just can't take my eyes off her when she's in a scene.
0: She's it's, beautiful. I, I, I agree,
3: but it's not even beautiful. She's got this thing. And I don't, I don't think she's a like fantastic. Act. Yeah, I don't know how to explain it. I'm just mm. like, my, I, I'm just gravitated. I just feel like I could watch her for days. Really? Doing nothing.
4: Yeah. That's funny because I'm always surprised that she gets roles, but it's because people <laughs> like watching like her. Like me, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah. yeah, it. That's the thing with criticizing this because I just don't want people listening to. Like, I, I think people who listen to this podcast will watch it and enjoy it, mm-hmm. and then hear us and be like oh can't we just have a nice christmas movie true but also i found it quite i found the storyline about being all about needing to come out quite old and weird and i was like is this really where the conversation's at right now because i don't think it is um having gay like friends and family members that the conversation has really shifted from being like, you need to come out to more being like, you shouldn't have to come out. And why, why do you need to come out? And the whole point of happiest season was basically that Kristen Stewart was going to her girlfriend's family house for Christmas. Um, and she, this isn't, we're not going to, we're not even spoiling anything. This isn't the trailer, yeah but she was going to her girlfriend's family house for Christmas. And, um, she was super excited she wanted to propose, and then she found out on the way to the family house that the girlfriend hadn't come out to her parents and had lied to her parents and said that this is her like weird roommate who had nowhere to go for Christmas. So then the whole storyline becomes about Kristen Stewart having to hide that she's gay, pretend that she's straight, having to hide that they're in a relationship, and then all about how this her girlfriend needs to come out to her to her really um conservative family.
3: Yeah, and that was the thing that. So, yeah, I I agree. I think Claire Duvall, who directed it and wrote it, um, I I don't know how long it's been in the process of getting made for, but I know that she said in interviews that it's something that she just wished existed for a really long time. And it did have the feeling of something that should have been made in the 90s, like the storyline, the fact that everyone's white, Mm -hmm. the fact that it's a very wealthy kind of um, upper-class family the fact that dad's running for office and that's why they can't come out. It's like none of these things really feel like current day current day issues. Like whose daughter whose daughter is a lesbian again? Oh, yeah. It's like Dick Cheney's daughter's a lesbian, right? Mm-hmm. Like the most conservative, like awful right wing hack in history. And in the early 2000s, he had an outly open lesbian daughter. So the, the kind of whole premise of the movie is based around this fact that someone yeah it's,
4: it's not even based around the fact that her parents are homophobic it's based around the fact that they have this perfect family and the dad running for office so they have to look perfect and can't but it's like be in 2020 any, yeah.
3: having a lesbian daughter would help Positive, you run for yeah. office yeah, yeah. <laughs> like if you were a white stale mm. person living in pennsylvania like i just don't yeah a, a lot of it felt remarkably outdated as a concept for a gay movie which on one hand just showcases i guess how backward. Um, the conversation has been up until this point. You know? Like yeah. that that should have been a movie in the nineties and now we've had like fifty thousand million other amazing gay rom coms to like change the narrative and change the narrative and the fact that we haven't is evidence of how fucked Hollywood's been. But at the same time it did feel jarring to watch because you were like, wait, no, I don't get and then you just think that the girlfriend played by Mackenzie Davis is an awful, awful horrible person because she's forcing her girlfriend to pretend she's straight to sleep in another room she's pretending to flirt with men in front of her to show that she's straight to these high school friends she's ditching her constantly it's like it's awful to watch i was like oh, this is <laughs> like yeah. a re- this is an abuse emotionally abusive relationship dan like, levy from Shit's creek
4: was on it And he was incredible, as per usual. Mm -hmm. He actually gave, I think, the best speech of the whole movie, where basically he was talking to Kristen Stewart's character, saying, like, explaining why her psycho girlfriend was acting that way and saying that he that all queer people have different stories. But even that pissed me off because he was like, all queer people have different coming out stories about like blah blah and you just have to come out. I was like, just no, you don't. Mm. But um, yes, everyone has different stories, and I and I really liked his speech, and I think that was great. But then I think that like quite a lot of the film would have been quite damaging for young queer people to see and to think, oh, I have to come out, and oh, it might go this really horrible way when her parents had never shown any signs that they were going to be like that. Like mm. I think if you've raised your if you've raised your children right, mm. they should have no fear about telling you they're gay if they want to tell you they're gay and
3: if there's a it, and the thing is there is an incredibly religious community of people in america and that that religious background would completely warp parents relationships with their own children like we see it in drag race all the time like beautiful gorgeous kids who I'm sure his parents are actually not evil people, but they kind of are because they disown their children because they're gay. Like mm-hmm. that of course still happens. And coming out is of course still a fucking emotional, physical, mental risk to a lot of people all over the world. But I think this was very unusual in that it didn't really explore the possible, awful side effects of coming out to a family that won't accept you because it seemed obvious from the get-go that, of course, this family is going to accept her. They're incredibly, like, modern and <laughs> whatever. Yeah. And then – so it felt kind of like this really low-stakes thing where you're like, okay, well, n- no one around you seems like they're not going to accept you and yet you're still being awful to your girlfriend and the kind of message is it's okay that she was absolutely awfully horrendous to her girlfriend <laughs> for – a week because she wanted to like fit she's in and going be through a thing and it just kind of i don't know i just like that's a really bad message to send to be like accept this horrendous treatment which has been a common theme through a lot of the reviews i think
4: yeah um i really liked this tweet today which was a girl saying if y if yi the goal isn't to assimilate into straight traditional norms all queer people learn this. You don't win anything if you do. It ultimately just makes you feel worse about yourself. To me, Happiest Season is the first chapter of a coming out story. The second would be Harper realizing that what she did to survive the first wave of coming out was bad and that only did not only did she hurt herself in trying to assimilate, but she did hurt but she hurt the people around her. Best thing Harper could do for her creepy family is detection that gay people who don't look and act like they do are great and that queer culture is great. It's a process, but integrating yourself with heteronormativity isn't the end goal, it's a survival tactic. Also, I found it so, I found it weird that two women who just look so white and generic mm. were the main characters, even though Kristen Stewart is queer. Yeah, it just it just felt so white. Apart from the random husband. Yes. Yeah. And mixed race children, which felt weirdly placed. Weirdly tokenistic. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I agree. And, I think. Yeah. Sorry. And. Kristen
4: Stewart should have ended up
3: with Aubrey Plaza. Oh my God, they had this like burning out of the screen screen chemistry where I was like, if these two don't fuck and end up together, um, it's interesting to talk about this around the same time that there's this like, <laughs> I don't know why I find this funny. There's like this ma- Sheldon Freud mass sadistic part of me that like loves this backlash against James Corden for some reason. Mm. Everyone like hates James Corden now and um. He's being slammed for his portrayal of a gay man in The Prom, which is like an upcoming Netflix movie. It's coming out on Friday. It's based... It's Ryan Murphy. I thought James Corden was gay, but he's straight. He's straight and married to a woman and has children. And he's playing a gay man in this film. In this film, which is Ryan Murphy, who's obviously extremely gay, who made Glee and Pose and American Horror Story and The People vs. OJ... And he's made this movie which is an adaptation of a Broadway Tony award-winning musical which is basically about a bunch of aging Broadway stars who go and help a young lesbian girl who is told she can't go to a high school prom because she's gay. And it's got this all-star cast. It's Meryl Streep, Nicole Kidman, Kerry Washington, um, and James Corden, and he has basically been slammed by like every critic for doing what they're calling quote unquote gay face, where apparently their gay mannerisms are so over the top to the point where they're quite offensive and it becomes kind of gross to watch it.
0: Mm. And it's
3: kind of reignited this conversation about why straight men are playing. Yeah. Like why, why would a straight man play a gay man? It's not like it's ethically wrong. It's not like gay people should only play gay people and straight people should only play straight people, but it's like when there are so many talented gay actors.
4: Why cast a straight man in the role? Yeah. Yeah. I really liked this quote, which was like, I could talk your ear off about the fact that we don't allow blackface. We've realized disabled or trans parts being played by people who aren't disabled or trans is flawed. So why do we keep thinking straight people can do the job as well as a queer performer? But really, the simple fact of the matter is Corden, for all his musical talent, doesn't feel believable. Corden does his damnedest, but the entire thing feels like he's only read the spark notes of the Velvet Rage. His slightly... Is it effete? Effet? Effete? E-F-F-E-T-E? I oh,
3: don't
4: know. His slightly effete physical performance also great This is easy low-hanging fruit to grab if you want to play a queer man, and he nibbles on every single one without clambering for the highest branches. Mm. Which is interesting because yeah imagine if we were okay i guess this doesn't make as much sense because we women but if we were being over the top flamboyant and outrageous that would be um offensive to our gay friends
3: yeah and i just think that it's not about saying that there isn't like that old gay theater guys are not camp and flamboyant it's about the fact that someone who has lived that experience and who embodies that can do it in a genuine non-caricature cringe way that isn't mocking the thing that you're doing and i guess the question is just why what this long list of people like nathan lane and stuff like were they just not available or why did it have to be James Corden? But then it's like complicated because we were talking about how blue is the warmest color is this incredible lesbian love story. And the two actresses in that are both straight. As far as we know, they're both married to men and have children with men and call me by your name is two straight guys. Yeah. And that's a beautiful gay mountain. love story. Brokeback mountain. Like it's not as if you can make a blanket judgment that a straight actor is incapable of playing a gay actor in a nuanced way, because that would be, very backward and like unprogressive and not what we're working towards and also
4: a lot of gay men uh say they're typecast into gay roles Mm. so they want to play straight roles or they don't come out because they'll be forced to just play gay roles like andrew scott has talked about that a lot
3: Mm. yeah and like that yeah that's with him in fleabag like Mm. was just the the hottest (laughs) fucking guy ever hottest thing ever and he's gay Um, so I don't think it's about that. I guess it's just about having a conversation about how, and it's like some responsibility falls on Ryan Murphy. Like if you're the director, you're directing a person's performance. If James Corden's performance is so offensive that the reviewers from Vanity Fair, uh, the Guardian, um, GQ, The Telegraph, like every review I've read, are all saying James Corden is so offensive in this film that it ruins the whole movie. Yeah, how did you not pick up on that? That's kind of on the director, 100. Yeah, because he would have been like, "Is this okay?"
4: Yeah. (laughs) Okay, bitches, where can I go? (laughs) Yeah. Martinis are finished. Need to eat my olives. Did you order a burrito
3: bowl? Yeah, I've got a burrito bowl coming (laughs) shortly. Right on the way. Um, we had a few really, really, really nice reviews this week. Yeah, I love them.
4: I refresh the reviews like a the same. psycho. So please we really write love another you guys. one. Um, like. Also, our second episode with me came out that time of the month. Mm. Um, and it is really, really, really interesting. If you do not track your cycle, if you want to learn more about harnessing your cycle for productivity, figuring out which part of the month is better for you to go on a date to do work projects to organize social events which time of the month is better for you to organize running a half marathon or doing lots of physical strenuous exercise um and which time of the month is better like it's just so 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 interesting so that's our most recent episode which is called harnessing your cycle for productivity and it's helped me to be so much kinder to myself and my body and to realize that last night when i started crying during happiest season not because of the the movie but um because i was just had pms and felt like upset that that's fine because i have my period and instead of just kind of dismissing that as being like you're being a stupid silly girl (laughs) knowing (laughs) that your hormones have completely changed and your body stupid silly girls girls. anyway but listen to that because it's great also
3: leave us a review leave us
4: a review follow A us good on instagram one. follow us on instagram at afterward drinks podcast tell three
3: friends about us yeah send Don't us tell- some money no. <laughs> <laughs> paypal me no jokes bye bye guys